back in God's mining operation, digging out the gems. And uh, let me set the scene. A young man is walking down a very long road. We can see that the clothing he is wearing is very raggedy, and it's riddled with holes and covered with uh, dirt and grime, and uh, he just looks very, uh, he just looks very grungy. And he's seen to be walking forward at a slow pace, you know, just moving along, moving along steadily, but slowly. And as he comes across the horizon, he is suddenly blocked out. And what's blocking him out is another figure that we can see running towards him. And we can make out that the figure that's running towards him is older than he is. And all of a sudden, uh, we can see that the two of them are getting closer and closer. Uh, the younger man is just plodding along, just slowly plodding along, whereas the older man is running and running and making up a lot of ground. And sooner than later, they reach each other. And as they reach each other, they embrace. And the younger man is very, uh, very uh, sorrowful. And uh, we can see that he's wiping his eyes. Uh, he's trying to hold back the tears that he, his eyes so, that his eyes just need to, let loose, and he tries to communicate a very severe message to the older man, and the the older man doesn't even want to hear it. He seemingly blocks him out, and he just gives him a kiss. He kisses him, and tears of joy we can see streaming down his aged face. He looks back behind him and calls out. And at that point, we see a courtyard filled with people. Uh, we see tables set up all around the space. Uh, and these tables are have food all over them. It's a wonderful spread, something like we would see at a wedding. Uh, and the guests aren't eating yet. And every eye is on the large table, which is, is in the corner. Uh, if you could picture it like a wedding where the, the head table, uh, where the bride and groom has not been announced yet, and that table is in the back, empty, and everybody can see it. We also have food on the table, but no one is touching anything because the bride and groom is not there. In this case, uh, people are waiting. People are waiting. Every eye, again, is on that larger table that's in the corner. The young man, now wearing a vibrant robe, um, and his, his, the, the, his face is just, is just lit up. His face is lit up. And he's now smiling and watching as the older man stands at the head of the table and is getting ready to address the crowd as he raises up his cup. 
And again, looking at the wedding analogy, we see where the best man would be uh, holding the cup up, ready to make a toast to the uh, newly uh, the newly married couple. Everybody in attendance raises their cups and toasts along with the older gentleman. And then they all start to applaud after they start their drinking. So, do you get it? Have you, do you know where I'm going with this? Can you picture in your mind uh, any Bible verses, any scripture um, come to mind as I went through setting up this, uh, this scene? Well, if not, we're going to go to Luke 15. And again, this is a very, um, it's a very popular, very well-known uh, chapter in the Bible. And um, it contains actually three parables. And the nature of such uh, necessitates that I read the entire um uh, Chapter. Now, in fact, we're going to stop at one point. We're going to read uh, Luke 15, verses 1, and we're going to uh, stop at verse 22. So let me just go through this. Um, and I'm going, going to be reading from the New International Version, the NIV. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're talking, of course, about Jesus. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he goes on to uh, put forth another parable, the parable of the lost coin in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now for the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, the lost Son. In verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and 
and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I think you got it now. This is a very popular and very well-known uh, parable. Uh, but this is going to be the focus of our gem today. The entire uh, parable of the lost son will indeed be the gem. As we dig into this parable, this gem, um, you're going to see that there are three necessary components uh, that are present in every change experience and it's it's our aim that as we study this uh, parable together and as we go through the uh, journey of the prodigal son that uh, we will be able to identify these three components of that wonderful change experience that happened in his life and then our prayer would be that we can experience him experience uh, that the change experience in our lives. So that's what we're after. And uh, hopefully uh, you're going to get a lot out of this. Um, uh, you may not have ever heard uh, this parable presented in this way. And that's why it's a gem. Because it's hidden right there in, in plain sight. The thing about... Um, three components, very important, that if any one of the components is missing, the entire process will be um, shut down. It's vitally important that all three components are necessary. So what are the components? Number one, there has to be a wake-up call. Number two, there has to be an eye-opening truth. And number three, there has to be a quick response. So we have the wake-up call, the eye-opening truth, and a quick response. All three of these need to be present. Equally important on the spiritual side are prayer, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit. Because we need prayer, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit to bring these three components uh, together in our lives. And uh, you see, we have to have that God-given moment 
that changes everything. Okay, so let's uh, dive back in to the story. And uh, we left off where everybody was raising their cups and toasting along with the father. And then after they were done drinking, they uh, applauded. Now, the listeners that were, were present that was hearing Jesus tell this story, and when, they, when, when Jesus got to the part of the celebration uh, uh, at the return of the sun, and they at this point thought most likely that, hey, the story's over. It's a done deal. And if you could imagine Jesus as he's uh, finishing his, his sentence about the celebration and then pausing, the listeners were most likely uh, nodding their heads, showing their appreciation and their uh, agreement with this uh, very uh, telling uh, story. Um, and, you know, I mean, now, everybody likes a happy ending, right? I mean, who, who doesn't like a happy ending? And when Jesus said in verse 24, for this, uh, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So it's only a gimme that the people in attendance most likely thought, hey, the story's over, and um, this could be equivalent to uh, to what we would experience today with a uh, with a um, a fairy tale or something where it said the ends with they lived happily ever after. I mean, one can conclude that this was most likely the case, but was it the case? Absolutely not. What did Jesus do? He probably cleared his throat. And they went on with that very famous word that we hear so much when we know the story is not over, but something else is coming. What word is that? Meanwhile. Now, those listeners that were really paying attention might remember that Jesus began the story with a short but very, very important detail. A man had two sons. And after the opening statement, the story focused completely on the younger son and his father. But when listeners came to the celebration scene, there was no older brother to be found. So, I'm titling this segment, hold on, what about the other one? You see, most teachings on this parable are always based on the lost son, the one that came back, the prodigal. But you never hear the story about the older son. So that's why I needed to delve into this. Held on. What about the other one? What about the other one? And 
I want to thank Kyle Eidelman uh, for opening my eyes to this uh, because this is really uh, this is really important and uh, and um, that's why it's a gem because this is hidden in in plain sight. So we need to address it. So again. When listeners came to the celebration, son, there was no older brother to be found. Now remember, earlier that day, a man worked the ground tirelessly. He was the older brother. He was tending his father's lands faithfully. And as the sun began to to set, the older brother heard a lot of noise coming from the family compound. So he called out to uh, one of the younger servants to ask him what was going on. And with excitement, the servant explained what had happened, that the younger son um, had returned and his father was, uh, was having a celebration for that because of that return. And when the older brother heard this, he was really ticked off. And even though the, the servant invited him to come to the celebration, the older brother turned his back to the field in an absolute refusal. And he absolutely would not accept the invitation. He was very, very cold about it. So later that evening, the father walked slowly toward uh, the other brother out in the field. And as the father drew near to the older brother, uh, even before he got to him, as he was on his way, he began to really uh, 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 plead with him. I mean, he wanted his his older son there to, um, to celebrate. Um, he encouraged his older son. He again appealed to him. He wanted him to celebrate the homecoming of his younger brother. But how did the older brother respond? And we see that in Luke fifteen twenty nine to 32. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, you can't, you can't miss this. You can't miss this. It's, it's so important. The older brother was always with his father. He never left his father. He obeyed the rules. He didn't break the rules. He didn't leave and go to a distant, distant country. But he was there with the father, serving the father, obeying the rules, never left, but he never 
truly experience that change. He never had that change experience. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Which story is more tragic? We have the younger son who lost everything, ended up in a pig pen, but experienced change. And on the other hand, we have the older son who lived at home with the father, followed all his rules, but never had a true change experience. And if we want to go one step further, we can say that his speech showed quite revealingly that he was completely disappointed in his father. He had absolute disgust for the, uh, the abundant grace that the father showed to his younger brother. And he asked for an explanation, not asked, he demanded an explanation from his father. And the older brother expected what some of the listeners of Jesus' parable were expecting. They wanted justice for the sinner. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, to really, really understand the, the a major point of this parable, you have to really look back at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Luke 15.1. This is where it starts. And I'm willing to bet that you, like me, may have missed this. And we read this a thousand times, bro. I'm exaggerating. But we read it many times. And we've heard teachings again many times on this uh, Luke 15. But I'm willing to bet that nine out of ten of us have missed this important revelation. Okay, Luke 15, 1 reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, the tax collectors and sinners made up half of the audience for Jesus' parable. And spiritually, the parable uh, refers to uh, this half of the audience, uh, the tax collectors and sinners uh, can be considered the younger brothers. They are far from the Father, and they're living in the distant country. But are they the only ones listening? Absolutely not. Look at verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So, who are the older brothers? Well, that would be the Pharisees and teachers of the law. You see, they spent their days, oh, in deep study of the word, and doing their clerical work, and they actually looked down on Jesus. Because Jesus was spending time with the younger brothers. 
So, what did Jesus do? He used the older brother in the parable to speak to them. It's very uh, revealing here. Very revealing. And so important. And again, man, I'd missed this for so many years. Jesus knew that the challenge of being an older brother was that you almost never, ever see yourself as the older brother. So what did he do? He created a character who had done everything right. The son who was faithful, the son who worked hard, who worked hard for the father's benefit. And you see, this is, this is the mindset of so many Pharisees. See, they would have seen themselves, undoubtedly seen themselves, uh, as the older brother. Spiritually speaking, they literally worked in the father's house, at the temple. But where were their hearts? Their, their hearts weren't close to the father. They were far from him. You see, and that's part of the reason is because their understanding of God was uh, severely flawed. They saw God as being very hard, very demanding, and very unforgiving. Uh, a perspective of like this, if you have a perspective like this, you see God as a, a tyrant or a uh, heavenly ogre, uh, just uh, parading around, waiting for phone uh, folks to mess up. He's waiting for people to mess up so that he can bust them and hand out verdicts. And more importantly, an eternal verdict. And uh, you see, so this is where the Pharisees would see themselves, and uh, again, it's their their understanding of God was severely flawed. The Pharisees, uh, listening to Jesus, uh, learned what we often forget: faithful followers of Christ aren't on earth to assign blame. We're here to free the trapped, bandage the wounded, help the hurting, and celebrate homecomings. The older son, he was really ticked off after seeing his father's uh, actions towards the younger brother. And while he may have worked hard and was faithful in, uh, in doing the work out in the fields, he was lost right there in his father's house. There, he, there was no wake-up call for him. There was no uh, eye-opening truth. And there was certainly no quick response. The truth was... He also was a prodigal son. Why? Because he had a heart that was far from his father. He, just like the younger son, his younger brother, was lost. But did he see it? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. Tim Keller put it this way. The bad son was lost in his badness, but the good son was lost in his goodness. Let me say that again. Tim Keller in The Prodigal uh, God stated that. The bad son was lost in his badness, but the good son was lost in his goodness. Now, you may have never been to a distant country. And uh, you may have an impressive religious resume. You may serve in church. You may do all these wonderful things. Uh, you may have followed all the rules all your life. And uh, as you hear this, you may be, your mind may be going uh, wild thinking about all those people that you know who are out there in the distant country who really need to hear this message. But is it possible, is it possible that you're the one Jesus has been talking to all along? And you see, what happens is older brothers have a very difficult time seeing themselves as someone in need of the change experience. So, you know, this is very important. Um, In regard to the older brothers, let's go there. Um, older brothers uh, often have their focus on the character flaws of others. They are, don't want to give any grace or forgive or recognize any repentance um, that may be put forth by the prodigals. And why is that? It's because they can't see past the mistakes. So we have that person who is tr trying honestly to uh, turn his or her life around. Uh, they've, they've lived a life uh, where they have lied over and over and over and over. Seemingly, they, they lie all the time. And instead of uh, offering encouragement to that person, uh, and instead of being support supportive of that person, helping them in their endeavor to make those changes, uh, the older brother will, will, will keep bringing up the lies that that person told before. And it's because they're being critical of, of, of other, the other person's sins, older brothers have a very hard time celebrate, celebrating when that other person experiences true change. When that change experience occurs, the older brothers have a difficult time celebrating. So, if you uh, refuse to uh, celebrate when your brothers and sisters come home from the distant country, that would be a good indication that you're missing the change experience in your own life. And you're 
actually more lost than they are. When someone has visited the distant country and experiences that change, that wake-up call, and when they uh, want to repent and return home, and they're broken about it, and they say they want to do things uh, differently, the older brother doesn't want to hear anything about it. The older brother will cross his arms instead of opening them. He might say something like this, these empty words. Oh, let's give that some time. Or how about this one? You're going to have to make things right. Or here's another one. Uh, you really need to get your act together. And you know what the reality is? Nobody really asked you. If you're that older brother, nobody really asked you. This isn't your house. It's the father's house. And you don't get to decide who gets to come home to be called sons and daughters. So when there is a celebration, and we refuse to enter into that celebration, it shows that we have completely missed the point. We have completely missed God's grace in our own life. When we know, when we know what we have been saved from, if we're wide awake and aware of our lostness, if we could clearly see the sin that we had in our lives, we would never operate that way. We would be the first ones to celebrate. The father would run to the uh, lost son, and we would be right behind him running also. Why? Because we know what he's done for us. When we can live with an awareness, with our eyes open, and with that keen awareness of what he's done for us, our arms can be wide open. But if we miss it, then our arms get crossed. And um, another, another indication of older brother syndrome is... The fact that there is a confidence that you have in your own goodness instead of the Father's grace. In verse 29, the older brother said to the Father, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. So, what was he actually stating here? He was saying, Hey, I deserve this. Look what I deserve. I've been good. I've followed your rules. I've done what you asked. I deserve your blessing. I've earned it. You see, when this kind of claim is made, um, there is no mention of the Father's provision. 
the way the Father provided uh, in his life. So just like the, the prodigal son, the older brother had lived his life fully dependent on the Father. But when he said this, he wasn't even willing to acknowledge his father's generosity. And you know what else? His speech uh, revealed that there was actually a uh, strain in his relationship with his father. Sounded like It sounds like he really feels uh, jilted by the father. By his father. I mean, he complained that he had never been, that he had never even received a small goat to have the party with his friends. Uh, how long had the older brother felt that way? I mean, we don't know. And uh, I could say one thing, though: these most likely these feelings were probably not brand new. He probably was harboring those feelings deep inside, and. You know, he worked years, worked hard for his father for years. And what did he do? He developed confidence in his own work ethic and in his own discipline. And resentment most likely started to grow when his father first gave the younger son half the inheritance. And, and he threw a party for the kid who blew a fortune on wild living. This is the problem with confidence in our own goodness. We, get to, we begin to believe we're going to earn something from the Father, but the Father's house is not a house of merit, it's a house of mercy. So, while the older brother states that he's never disobeyed, the younger brother says he is not worthy. One brother appeals to his own merit, the other comes asking for mercy. One brother uh, sulks in his frustration, the other celebrates in joy. When we focus on our own spiritual resume, that divides the spiritual family. The father and the prodigal son celebrate, celebrated in the courtyard, and the other brother, the older one, he worked alone in the field. Now, God doesn't withhold mercy or stop the party just because one of his children disagrees. So, until you can go from, I've never disobeyed, to I am not worthy, you will never have the change experience. Well, it sounds like Jesus is being very hard on the older brothers. But I'm sure he's got a reason for it, right? Jesus has a reason for everything he does. And the, the most logical um, answer is that Jesus knew that most people would base what they, what they thought about God and what they thought God was truly like, they would base that 
on how the Pharisees and teachers of the law lived and behaved. I mean, I think that's a reasonable assumption. Um, because it's, it's true even today, I, I would think. Like, I know with me, if I'm in a, if I go shopping, I go to a store, or I have any, uh, interaction with any company whatsoever, and if I have a problem with their representatives, then my problem is with the entire company. I may judge the entire company based on the employee or rep, and, and representative that I am dealing with. So it's kind of like that same situation. Um, so uh, I, I believe that's why Jesus is being hard and challenging these Pharisees because he knew that the older brothers lived and worked in the father's house and people would often look to them for, for, the, for an accurate depiction or reference point of what the father was like. I don't think I'd be going out on a limb here by saying that there are a lot of brothers out there who are totally misrepresenting God's heart. These are the kind of people who portray God as totally unreasonable. There's no pleasing him. Totally, he's totally uncaring. He's not merciful at all. And this is the kind of portrayal of God which sends the prodigals to the distant country in the first place. And what we see in Luke 15 is that's not the kind of father we actually have. You know, we have a father that seeks out both sons. You see, both sons in Luke 15 were, in, were, were wrong. I mean, they were clearly wrong. And it was both of their responsibilities to actually seek out their father. Now, the eventually, the younger son came to his senses, and he did this. But as soon as the father saw his son, he ran to him. He didn't sit back and wait for the boy. And he certainly didn't posture himself as most patriarchs of that day would have, full of pride and indignant at any disrespect. No, he ran to his son. And this also begs the question. I know when I re read this, um, and I don't know if you've seen this as well or you've asked yourself this question, but do you not find it... Uh, do you not find it interesting that the father saw the son running towards him? So he ran towards the son. So again, that begs the question, well, did he just happen to go out on the right day? And my answer to that would be, absolutely not. He must have been out there every day waiting for his son's return. He was probably praying, waiting anxiously for his son to return. So he didn't just pick a day and happen to hit it right. My guess is, and I, I'm sure I'm right on this, is that he was out there every day expecting his son to return. Um, when the older brother was in the field, the father left the celebration and went out to him. 
he engaged his son directly. So what does this tell us about God? God longs for a relationship with his children. This father sought out both sons. What else can we see about this father? This father is loving and gracious to both sons. And you know what? He had every right to be hard-nosed and come down on both of his sons. I mean, they both deserved it. Those people that were listening to this parable would have agreed, I'm sure, that the father was well within his rights to deal out justice and punishment to both sons. Did he do that? No. After the younger son's insulting choices and a life of reckless living, the father embraced him with kisses and hugs. And after the older brother's harsh words and disrespect, the father lovingly explained himself. The patriarch would never have had to explain himself in ancient times. These households during, in that culture were not democracies. They were dictatorships. Yet, in this case, the father answered the older, brother, the older brother's anger with gentle patience and grace. You know, we might expect God to be an angry father who demands justice, but through Jesus, he gives us love and grace when we don't deserve it. Ultimately, the story in Luke 15 isn't about two sons who disobey. It's about a father who loves his children unconditionally. So, I hope this uh, segment was a, an eye-opening experience for you. I know for me it is. Uh, again, I've heard sermons over the years about Luke 15. And everyone dealt with and focused on the prodigal son, the younger brother. I've read this many times, and I never saw the importance of the older brother. It's something that we just dismiss. And most pastors, most teachers of the word dismiss it as well. Um, so I hope this gem uh, really sheds some light on Luke 15. And I hope it also sheds light on uh, the, the, the father that we really have, his loving heart. And uh, also, I hope this shows that uh, really need to study the word. And uh, this series, again, the gems, digging out the gems, uh, God's mining operation, it's meant to show us that God has gems throughout his word, and some are on the surface, some are just below the surface, and some are very deep. And unless we get in there, study the word, ask ourselves questions, we'll never experience the true power that's living in 
the Word of God. So, the change experience. Hold on. What about the other one? In order to, to, in order to uh, enjoy and, exp- and have that change experience, in order to, ex- to experience change and experience a new you, You've got to have the three components. You got to hear the wake-up call. You got to discover the uh, eye-opening truth, and you've got to execute a quick response. God bless and have a great.